table. And so today is just one question, well, one question is with two parts, uh, where I think this would be a fun question, um, and I would love to hear the responses afterwards. But uh, the discussion question is this, what small act have you done for someone that meant a lot um, more than, uh, than you realize? So it's a small act that you did to someone that you probably didn't think it was that big of a deal, but then to them, to that person, it was something that meant a lot. And then when you heard back from them, you realized, oh man, I didn't realize that, that effect. So either one, discuss in two parts, what did you do or probably something that was done for you? Does that make sense? All right, cool. Let me give you about five minutes to kind of discuss that, and then we'll come together, and I would love to hear some of the responses. All right, all right. So let's go ahead. I hope that was like a fun little discussion around your table. So um, we have about three people with mics, and so right now we just want to answer the first question. What were some things that you thought of, like small act that you did to someone, for someone, that you didn't think it meant much, but to them it meant the world. All right, who wants to go first? It's all right, you can be humble about it. You did it, you know, you received the credit, so it's okay. All right, this is, this is one from my wife. She, she put a love note in my lunchbox this past week. And it was just, just made my day, it was just wonderful. I wasn't expecting it. Aww. That's nice, that's nice. All right. Okay. Um, me and my husband used to give um, small gifts to families and on Christmas Day, Walmart ran out of all the gifts and that parent called me and I was like, I can't make it to get deliver them. And then I told my husband, we gotta get up on Christmas morning and do it. And my mom was like, what is Christmas? <laughs> and so we went and did that. And four years later, she was, um, we met her through an eviction process. Oh, wow. And uh, I remembered her son's face and cause she didn't come outside to get it, he did. Yeah. And I seen her through this process of like her being pushed out of her home. And she told me she remembered us bringing it on Christmas morning, even though she wasn't able to come out. Uh, she was sick that day. Wow. And it was great. Wow. Man, thanks for sharing that. Wow. Right, yeah, you can give a clap. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Anyone else? <laughs> no, that's awesome. Praise God. All right. All right. All right. We got where? Uh, right here. Okay. <laughs> 
So um, we had a great example, and then someone at our table brought up, does it have to be something positive? Can it be something negative, a small act that huh. we didn't mean harm, but it created bigger harm than we thought? So we had a conversation around that, too. I wasn't thinking of that, but all right, go ahead. All right, yeah, if, if there is. All right. All right, yes. So last year, um, I was taking care of my mother. She, we, we were in and out of the hospital, and then I got a call from Tara, and um, they said, we're going to bring you breakfast. I was like, what? Mm. And so they did. They brought, they brought me breakfast, and, and that, that meant so much to me. Yeah. Definitely. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, one more. All right. What Mark was talking about uh, had me a reminder of um, this summer when I was uh, like literally I had at my lowest point mm. and out the blue, <clears throat> yeah, I'm mentioning names, out the blue, Tola hit me up and was like, do you want to come over for dinner? Mm. And I have a car and she came and picked me up and I got to spend time with that and it did, it changed my whole entire view of not mm. j just being in Atlanta alone, it made me be a little more comfortable because God blessed me with friends that I didn't realize that I had. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. All right. Well, how about the second one? Um, what were some small act that was done for you that meant so much, but that person just didn't know the significance, the significance of it? No one wants to share? Okay. Oh, okay. I'll share one. Thanks, Chris. Um, so last week was uh, the one-year anniversary of my brain surgery. And uh, it was a day like just filled with a lot of emotions. And um, a group of friends that I have uh, from our kids' school that have kind of walked through this process with me, um, they all sent flowers to the house mm -hmm. and just like a really sweet note um, about just celebrating with me and with our family uh, this special day. And I, I was so touched. I mean, I was like in tears uh, because it just felt like such love for them to even remember the day. You know, like to me, it was a really significant day and for our family, but I didn't expect other people to remember that specific date. And so for them to remember that and celebrate with us was really, really touching, really That's sweet. Cool. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's do two more after that. Um, so I was at the gym last Saturday. Or was it, what, was, what day was it? Last, last Thursday. Okay. And I was just reading my book, like always, and Allison walked in, and she's like, hey. And I'm like, Nobody ever says hey in here, hey. <laughs> and um, she was like, oh my gosh, that seems like a great book. And she was like, nobody's ever done that. Like, I've never seen that, that's a great idea. And I'm like, thank you, like she's just so sweet. So then she's like, are you a Christian? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> wow. And she's like, um, me too. And she's like, what church do you go to? And I'm just like, great question. I honestly don't have an exact church that I go to. I'm like new here. I'm like two years in. Wow. So I was like, I don't have a church. And she's like, oh my God, please come to Blueprint. Like, she's like, wow. come. She's like, You're, if you don't like it, totally fine. Just come. 
And she was just so sweet, texting me all week. Great girl. And now I'm here. So. That's awesome. That is hilarious. Oh, that's, that's so... That is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And welcome. I mean, now you feel probably weird, all eyes on you. Uh, but no, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for being here. Awesome. Two more, two more. All right. <laughs> well, last Thursday, Allison, uh, this is another Allison, Allison. story. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Allison took me to the metro because the I was going to D.C. on a personal trip. So, you know, if I'm going on a work trip, I'll take an Uber, right? Because I'm going to get reimbursed. But uh, <laughs> this was a personal trip, and I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to pay $42 to go to the airport. And so um, Allison came and took me wow. to the metro station, wow. which I thought was so awesome. So wow. Allison has just been the best responsible sibling. Wow. 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 So let me, let me share uh, uh, something small. Um, Allison just moved here. <laughs> so she literally just moved here like two months ago. Um, and so she is one of our, uh, she came about a year ago and she served as a summer intern. Um, and then she said, you know what? I, f I feel like the Lord is calling me to spend a year or so of my time um, as a missionary, and I would love to come and serve Blueprint. And so she moved here like two months ago as a summit intern, and man, praise God, Allison, for what you've done so far. So that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, one more. All right. My very small act is that my good friend here, who her first time, she... Wanted to encourage me to work out after having our last baby. And so she gets up and goes to the gym with me at 5 a.m. every day. Wow. That's awesome. It means a lot. That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Well, cool. Thank you guys for sharing that. And so this is going to be the theme of what we talk about um, today. But let me just go ahead and pray for us. But thank you guys for sharing. Uh, Father, we just want to pray over our time today. Um, Lord, all these stories that we just heard. Um, man, how encouraging um, it is to hear how small acts can be great, great things, impactful things in people's lives. And, and sometimes we never know um, how powerful those small gestures can be. Um, sometimes we think our hospitality have to be these grand gestures, but um, look how powerful you can work in just a simple thing. Um, and Lord, I pray that we can uh, rest in that. And if we feel any weight of, man, how do I serve you? Um, do I have enough? Lord, today I pray we can be encouraged to know that you can use us, even with the small things that we bring to you. And so, Lord, I just want to pray over our time. Um, Holy Spirit, fill me. Uh, give me the words to say uh, to speak to the hearts of men. Uh, but at the end of the day, Lord, you are the one who is um, the amazing God who knows both our minds and our thoughts. And so you know exactly what we need to hear. Um, so I pray that you would open us to 
your word. Um, not just that, but I also pray for our Stone Mountain campus and uh, those who are leading and, and those who are speaking today. Lord God, will you do a great work at that campus as well? And so we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, today we are in John chapter 6. We're going to be walking through um, the passage in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. And today, I want to talk about a challenge that I think that many of us will encounter when we try to implement biblical hospitality in our lives, right? And so we've been talking about hospitality for the past several weeks, and I just want to be honest with you that whenever you try to implement this principle or, or this, this uh, biblical uh, principle of hospitality in your life, you will find that it can be very difficult. Um, it's one thing to talk about the theology of hospitality, and I think we've done a lot of that throughout this series, but it's totally different when you actually try to implement. It sounds good when we talk about how right, God is um, a, a God who is hospitable, right? And we see this through the gospel, right? Hospitality is a reflection of the gospel where God invites us into a relationship with them in the same way we need to invite people into a relationship with us. That sounds all good, right? Packaged up, put in a nice little bow, it sounds good. It sounds good to talk about how hospitality is a reflection of Christian or Christian identity. Like, this is who we are. This is the character of God. And so we should be loving and kinding and kind and, and caring and all those nice little things, right? All that sounds good. It sounds good to say that hospitality is the Christian mission. This is the way that we tell people about Jesus. All of that sounds good, packaged up real well. But hospitality is very challenging when you try to implement that in real life, especially when in real life, our schedules are packed with responsibilities and demands that requires so much from us, sometimes more than we have to give, right? How do you practice hospitality when you don't have the space? How do you make room when you don't have the space? Right? How do you make room when you don't have the space? How do you open up your lives and welcome people in? How do you create meaningful relationships where you are investing in people's lives when you don't have much to give? When you are stretched to your limits, when you, are, uh, uh, when you have minimal margins, or where you are trying to um, not be burnt out, right? Some of us have tried this already, where we've tried to invite people in our lives, and we've tried to invest in people's lives, and now we're probably thinking, why did I do that? <laughs> like, why did I do that? Because I, I really don't have the space. Like, uh, I've overcommitted myself to these relationships, Right? Or maybe you want to invest more in people's lives. You want to invest more in meaningful relationships, but you just don't know how to do it. You don't know how to fit it in your busy schedules. And so how do you make room when you don't have the space, when in your life, right, in your life, our lives are, are filled with demands, right? Demands from work, demands from school. You have responsibilities to your kids, to your family, 
right? You're helping your kids every day with their homework. Maybe you're taking them to sports. They come home. You want to make sure that they eat, take showers, and not die, right? You know, maybe you have, like, financial responsibilities where, man, you're on a tight budget, and you can't keep going out all the time, or you can't keep inviting people to your house, right? Or maybe you got final exams and reports, right? Or maybe you, you don't have the space to welcome people in. Maybe you live in a dorm, and you're like, hey, I can't really invite people, right? All of us have these very demanding responsibilities or maybe restrictions, right? And some of us are barely surviving with maybe the little that you have, right? You're barely surviving with the little time. You're barely surviving with the little energy. You're barely surviving with the resources that you have. And some of us give so much. We give so much throughout the day. We give so much throughout the week. And then... We're expected to give more on Sundays. Tara's calling you, and she needs you to serve, right? And so there's so much that even from the church, we are asking from people. And then now we talk about hospitality. Barely half for ourselves, let alone trying to give to someone else. And so I believe many of us, many of us would like to be more hospitable. Right? Many of us would like to be more hospitable. Many of us, I believe, would love to invest more in people's lives, more in serving God, but we just can't. We just can't because we're extremely busy or we're extremely limited, and we're trying to find this balance between our responsibilities and all of uh, the things that we have, we're trying to find a balance between those responsibilities and our desires to be hospitable and to serve one another, but it's just very hard, right, if we were to be honest. And so today, I want to talk about this challenge of feeling limited. How can we be effective with the little that we have? How can we make room to be used by God when we don't have the space. And so I think most of us, again, have this desire to be used by God and to serve people and to be more involved in community or to invest in relationships. However, we struggle to find a ways to fit that into our busy lives. And so today in John chapter six, I just wanna encourage you to see this. And if you have a pen, paper, you're taking notes, um, I want you to write this. Even when we think we don't have much, God can still do a lot with what we have. Even when we think we don't have much, God can still do a lot with what we have. And so this is a principle that applies not just to, not only to hospitality, but that's a principle that you can apply with any area of your life that any area of your life, even when you feel like we don't have what it takes, God still could work in powerful ways. And so our limitations will not stop God from using us. In fact, God thrives in our weaknesses. God thrives when we are limited. God thrives even when we feel inadequate. And so in John chapter 6, 
We're going to walk through every single one of these verses, right, pretty quickly. John chapter 6, verse 1, we begin the story where we see Jesus and his disciples. They are crossing the Sea of Galilee. And this was always this pattern of Jesus to travel from town to town, city to city, to expand his ministry. And Jesus was not limited to one people group or he wasn't limited to a particular place. We see throughout Jesus' ministry, he was always looking for opportunity to meet all kinds of people, people who are religious, people who are not, people who had uh, great status and people who didn't, right? People of all type of background, right? We're being invited into a relationship with Jesus because Jesus, we see he was constantly breaking down barriers to meet people where they were, right? And so this is a pattern of Jesus. And then not just that, but we see how Jesus, his ministry was not just about preaching, just preaching to people, but it was also about caring for people. He cared for their spiritual need and also their physical need. And so as Christians, right, when we look at this pattern of Jesus's life, we see this is the model of hospitality. And this is what our lives should look like. Not just that, but this is what the church should also look like. Not just a people or a place where we're just telling people about God or telling people what they need to do, right? But it's also embodying what God looks like, right? And so our faith, our faith is incomplete if our faith is just in words. Our faith is incomplete if it's just words. If it's all about our sermons that we're giving people, if it's all about telling people what they need to do or what, what, what they need to, 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 to believe in, and if it's not supported by action and where we are actually caring for people, our faith is incomplete. And this is what John says in John chapter 2, verse 17. In John chapter 2, 17, John says, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Is dead. And so just professing Jesus and not feeding the hungry like we see Jesus doing, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, and caring for people in practical ways is a lifeless and ineffective faith. And so I want you to hear that the gospel isn't just about what we say and what we tell people to believe in. It's also about translating those beliefs into action that mirrors the character of Jesus. And so this is the model that we are seeing that Jesus is demonstrated. He didn't just come to preach to people from a distance, but we see how he is crossing cultural and, and religious boundary lines to engage with people, to invest in them, and to invite them into a relationship, not only to listen to what he has to say, but also to receive from him. And so he is crossing over the sea uh, uh, in Galilee. And in verse 2, we see, as he was traveling, a huge crowd was attracted to him, right? They were attracted to this character, his teaching, but then also his life. And so this huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick, 
these tangible, practical things that he was doing, not just teaching, but then he was also caring for people's needs. And so I want you to highlight this, a large crowd, a massive crowd, or maybe your text probably says a a huge crowd, right? This huge crowd was about 5,000 men. But then this story is also recorded in other places throughout the Gospels, where in Matthew chapter 14, verse 21, Matthew says, yes, it was 5,000 men, but beside these 5,000 men, there were women and children, which means this crowd could have been about 15 to 20,000 people that was following Jesus. And I want you to imagine placing yourself in the disciples' shoes right now seeing this massive crowd following you and every single one of these people has a desperate need. They have a desperate need and they're looking to you to fulfill those needs. Some had physical needs. They were sick. They needed healing. Some had spiritual need, emotional need. Some just wanted to see the signs and perform and see all the things that Jesus was doing. Or some just wanted to experience just being in the presence of Jesus. And so I just want you to imagine, I just want you to imagine the stress level of these people and the anxiety that these people probably felt. 15 to 20,000 people was following them. I get the anxiety of standing here in front of 100 people. But just imagine the anxiety of like 15 to 20,000 people, right, who need your help. And listen, even if these disciples had the desire to help these people, their ability to solve every single one of their problems, to meet their needs, was very limited, right? And that's the tension that you would probably feel if you were in their shoes, that God is calling them to be responsible for this massive crowd. Where will you find the resources to meet their need? Right? This is too much to handle. We don't have what it takes. This was a massive need the disciples had to be responsible for. Right? If you, again taking notes, I want you to write down this very powerful theological statement. I don't want you to forget. All right, you ready? People are needy. You and I are needy people, right? Every single one of us have our own set of needs that could sometimes be too much for people to handle right? Ask my wife. She'll tell you about me, right? So about three weeks ago, my wife and I, we had COVID, and so we were sick, and so that's why we haven't been in church for a while, all right? We're all better now, trust me, Um, and so while we were sick, man, we were like bad. We were dragging each other up and down the house because, I mean, like we both were bad. We're, We're out, but to be honest with you, she did most of the work, like She had to go and make the tea. She had to go and do a lot more because when I get sick, I get very needy. 
And so the thing is, I know I'm a husband, and I'm supposed to serve, uh, but that's an area where I still need sanctification. You can just ask her. But man, like, when you are in need, when you're someone like me, right, when you're sick, you could be very needy, and it could be very overwhelming. And I think the past two weeks, we were very, I was very overwhelming to my wife, and so this is a public confession. And also, yeah, forgive me. But I just want you to know, like, because of who we are as people, we are very needy. Every single one of us have needs like this, where we have physical needs, we have spiritual needs, we have emotional needs, we have needs to feel secure, we have needs for affirmation, we have needs for attention, we have all sorts of needs because we are vulnerable people. We're vulnerable and we're finite. We can't do things by ourselves. We can't do it all by ourselves. And with those needs, that's really how we connect with one another, right? Because we need each other. But then sometimes those needs, to be honest, could be very overwhelming. It could be very overwhelming to people because people are human beings and they are finite. And because they are finite, they have finite resources. They can't handle all of our needs. Meaning sometimes we could be too much for people, right? Sometimes we could be too much for people and sometimes people can't always meet our needs. And this is the reason why some of us, listen, some of us run away from relationships because we feel the anxiety of not having enough or not being able to give enough. And so we run away from meaningful, deep community, right? We have the tendency of choosing relationships that are easy rather than relationship that needs work. Relationship that needs work require too much from us, and so because of that, we choose the relationships that don't have expectations. We run away from meaningful relationships, right? The relationship that demands time, the relationship that demands energy, the relationship that demands our resources, Sometimes we may feel like we just don't have what it takes. And so that's called self-preservation, right? Like when you see someone coming and you know that person is too much, you turn around the other way, act like you didn't see them. Or maybe when they call on the phone, you kind of like hyperventilate before you pick up because you know it's going to be a very draining conversation. Or maybe we feel like the ones who have needs that we think that people see us as too much. And so what we do in this scenario, because we feel like we can be too much for people, we hesitate to reach out to people. We hesitate to form these relationships, deep relationship, because we don't want to bother people. We don't want to be a burden to people because we feel like we may have too much for people to carry. And so sometimes we run away from meaningful relationships. We don't want to share our struggles with people because we don't want to overwhelm them. We don't want to exhaust them. And so the sad reality is what's happening is 
we're all avoiding each other. We're all running away from each other, right? Instead of being people who come alongside of one another to meet each other's needs, we all feel this, this, this deep desire for relationship, but then no one wants the responsibility, the responsibility. And so we're all avoiding deep relationships. And so now we get to Matthew chapter um, uh, Matthew chapter 14, and again, this is a, another version of the same story. We see when Jesus saw this large crowd, Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, it says, when Jesus went ashore and he saw this large crowd, he had compassion. He had compassion on them, and because of his compassion, he healed the sick. And so Jesus had compassion when he saw this crowd. This compassion drew him to become uh, uh, to come closer to this crowd. It drew him to action. It drew him to even reprioritize his rest. And so Jesus had been walking about six hours to cross this sea and six hours on foot. And then so he finally gets to a place where he can sit down with the disciples and rest. And then he looks and he sees this crowd of people following him. Six hours, people who are sick, followed him on foot. People who are old, followed him on foot. People with kids, and you know, if you're traveling with kids, it's going to be a longer journey. Follow Jesus. And you see this massive crowd follow Jesus for six hours to be where he was. And so Jesus realized the great length that these people were willing to go to be with him, to be near with him. And so he had compassion. You ever had someone who followed you around all the time? And you're like, just get away from me, right? Um, my son is like that. Um, I love my son, okay? I love my son. Uh, but the other day, and so my son does this, uh, right? Every time I get home, like, he just want to spend time with me, you know, and I just want to breathe. I'm like, give me some time to breathe. And then so wherever I go, he's, like, following me. But I love him. So the other day, my wife and I, we were driving, and then I got a call from a friend of mine, and my friend was like, hey, I got two tickets to go to the Georgia and Georgia Tech game, and Georgia Tech lost. That's terrible, right? You guys are not good. Um, but, <laughs> and so we went to the game, uh, so, so he was like, yeah, 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 um, I have these two tickets, do you guys want to go? And so I made the mistake of answering the call on speaker, and so my son heard this, and he's like, oh, you know, a football game. And so I get out the car, and then we're kind of like doing some things. And then my son was like, hey, dad, are you going to the game? I'm like, yeah. And he doesn't say anything. So I'm thinking, I'm like, man, who am I going to go to the game with? And I'm like, all right, maybe I'll call the hottie, or maybe I'll call some of the boys, you know, for us to go to the game. And then my son comes back again. He's like, hey, dad, who are you going to the game with? I'm like, I don't know yet. And then he's like, okay. All right, he goes back. He's doing his thing. And then I'm still trying to figure out. And then he comes back again. He's like. Dad, can I go to a game with you? And so I'm like, no. Like, I mean, in my head, in my head, in my head, in my head. But then I was like, I'm like talking to my wife. I'm like, babe, I don't want to go to a game with them. I don't want to babysit a little kid, you know, so I want to go with the boys, right? And then so I felt bad. I'm like, my son just wants to spend time with me. And so I'm like, all right, well, let's go to the game. And so we go to the game and we had an amazing time. Right. Oh, I mean, I was like, um, and so we just had a really, really great time. 
And man, I would have missed, listen, I would have missed a very valuable opportunity if I didn't reprioritize my desires, right? Jesus had been walking for about six hours with the disciples, and now he gets to a place and he's like, I just want to rest. Now he sees this massive crowd coming towards him. And we see how he reprioritized even his own desire for rest because of compassion to meet the needs of these people. And I think sometimes when we have those people who are like constantly wanting us to pour into their lives or invest in them, and then we're thinking about our own needs, we can miss a valuable opportunity to go deep, a valuable opportunity to make an impact in their lives. And so Jesus tells the disciples, he says, have the people sit down, have the people rest, and now let's serve them. Let us serve them. And we see there's this, right now, right, there's this practicality, practicality of hospitality, right? That's a tongue twister. Um, and then our desires for rest starts clashing. Like, you know you have to be hospitable because this is what we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, right? Based on who we are as Christians and based on the gospel, like we are to be hospitable, but then you also have these desires for rest or you have these desires or this need for self-care. And this is where they start clashing. How do we serve when we also need rest? How do we give when we also need? Right? We see how those begins to clash. And so in verse 5, Jesus asks Philip, and he says to Philip, Philip, where are we going to buy food and bread so these people can eat? He asked Philip this. And then the Bible says that he asked Philip this to test Philip, right? And so I want you to understand what Jesus is saying right now. There's 20,000 people who are starving, who are in need. They have all types of need. And Jesus, who is the infinite one with the infinite resource, he is asking these men who are finite and have finite resources, how are you going to feed them? Right? And he's saying this to test them. And this is where... If I was Philip, Jesus would kick me out of this group, right? And this is where, like, a lot of things I would say would be redacted from the Bible because I would be, like, super angry with Jesus. Can you imagine this? Jesus is asking Philip, how are you going to feed them? I would be like, why, why would you ask me this question? <laughs> why would you ask me that? You know, like, they're following you. They're not following me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you feed me. I'm hungry too. You know? And then, like, he goes on. And, like, I, I, I mean, I'd be so angry. I'd be like, these people, they're cheap. Where's their money? They should, they should go buy their own lunch. You know what I'm saying? Like, who told you to come? I didn't ask you. And then I just, like, I, I'll put this on Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, you're the one that's doing the miracle. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, you're the one that's walking around showing off. They came to look at you and all the stuff. Like, this is where Jesus would be like, you're done. I'm done. Like, you get out my group, right? But listen, all right? I can relate with Philip because there are two things that Philip said, and I'm like, all right, Philip, I see you, right? Because we see in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15 to 16, Philip said, Jesus, send them away. He's like, get rid of them, right? He says, send the crowd away so that they can go, they can go to the village and buy food for themselves. And I'm like, Philip, I see you. We're good. We're on the same page. I'm not a sinner, right? Then Jesus says to Philip, no, you go buy them food. All right. And Philip is like, okay. Well, but then Jesus, and he says to Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 7, he says, Jesus, we ain't got the money, bro. We, we, we don't have the money. And then he goes on, he says, 200 denarii is not even worth the bread. It's not even enough for each of these people to have a little. And so basically what Philip is saying, like, even if you put our entire salaries together, it's still not enough for these people just to have a piece of bread, right? So Philip's tension is the same tension that we feel when God is placing these responsibilities in our lives and he is giving us these tasks and he is calling us to do these things. And we're like, where am I going to find the resources? Like, do I have what, it's ta- what, what it takes? You're calling me to do these things, but I'm not enough. I'm inadequate. And then we see sometimes God will give us these impossible tasks so we can feel inadequate. He wants us to feel inadequate so we don't turn to our own strength and so that we won't be tempted to trust in ourselves, but instead we will trust in him. Right? And so I love even this morning, one of our sisters was like, oh, man, I am going to lead today. And this feeling of inadequacy is exactly where God wanted her to be in, to do an amazing job as she led today. And I praise God to witness, to see what she did today. And then a lot of times God will do that in our lives and put this weight of inadequacy in our lives so that we don't trust in our intelligence, we don't trust in our gifts, we don't trust in ourselves, but we trust in him. And you may feel inadequate right now. And listen, that's probably the best place for you to be. That's the best place for you to be in. You may feel like you're falling short. You may feel like you're falling short of what's expected of you. Whether you're falling short of what the church is expecting of you, Christians are expecting of you, or maybe your own standards. You may feel like you're falling short, but the comforting thing is you are not the solution, and Jesus is. Jesus is. And listen to this. The Bible says Jesus was testing Philip, right? This is not a test I want. (laughs) I would fail this test. Jesus was testing Philip to see if Philip would trust in his own strength. And I believe that's what this test was. And I want you to write this down. Wherever you feel inadequate, God will fill in the gaps. 
Wherever you feel inadequate, God will fill in the gaps. And whenever we feel like we don't have enough, that's an invitation for God to step in and to make room to work beyond what we have to give, right? So in verse five, or or in verse eight, we see this little boy comes to the scene. And then he offered five pieces of bread and two fish. And that's all that he had. Now, we don't know, like, what happened if this little boy was, like, listening to the conversation and he was like, hey, you know, this is all that I have. Kind of like little kids, you know, like they think their piggy banks could fix the world, right? And then realize that mom and dad kind of took the money from it. Um, And so mom does. Uh, but, uh, but you know how little kids have faith. They just think that anything they have could like be the solution to everything. And we don't know how this kid came to the story. If he heard, or maybe the disciples kind of came to him was like, yo, give me my, your food, you know? Like, so, but whatever it was, but this little kid came to the scene and he's like, man, this is all I have. And he was willing to offer the little that he had. So the disciples saw their limitations. They saw they didn't have the resources. They didn't have the money. They saw that they didn't have the capacity because the crowd was too big. So because of that, they saw their inability to make an impact. But then this little boy with this childlike faith, he offered the little that he had. And this small offering that he gave to Jesus, this act of selfless giving, of giving whatever it was that he had, and despite how little it was, or maybe inadequate it was, or maybe not so much, not enough, limited, somehow was used for greater purpose. And this is the work that the Lord does in our lives that no matter what you may feel about your, your limits, your, your, your ability or your potential or your gift, you may feel like it's not enough or it's not a lot. When I look at all the great things that other people could do, who am I? I am this small person. But then we see in God's hands, there's great purpose. He can use it for a great impact. And so... Do you know, do you know you can make a huge impact in someone's life with a small act? And this is why I started the sermon with that question, because you heard with the stories that we kind of talked about, the power of small act. A simple call can change someone's life. Have you ever had that happen to you? where someone called you and then called you at the right time just to ask you, how are you doing? And then that changed your life. Or maybe you called that person and they're like, man, that is just a call that I needed today. A simple call. Maybe you're on your lunch break. You send a simple text and say, man, I'm just praying for you today. I really don't have time to talk, but I just thought of you. I'm praying for you. Or invite someone to lunch with you or meet someone in the gym and just to say hi. Powerful how those small acts 
can happen when we do them in faith. The result of those small acts when we do them in faith, right? We have the ability to do those things and make impact in people's lives all around us. Sometimes we just need to reprioritize and kind of see the opportunity, those valuable opportunities. You're going to the grocery store. That's your normal rhythm. You can call someone to go to the grocery store with you. You may not have the time to spend and disciple them, but as you go in life, there could be some spaces where you can have those valuable moments and valuable opportunities, right? You're going to lunch after church. You can invite someone to go to lunch with you. And that could mean powerful, can have powerful results, especially to that person who feels alone. So we have those spaces, right, to make powerful impact. Send someone a DoorDash gift card, if you, even if you can't take them out to eat. Those small things can go a long way. And so we see this boy, he offered Jesus this small offering. And in God's hand, those small offerings are powerful tools, powerful tools. And then so we see the Lord blessed us. He took the small offering, he raised it up, prayed over it, and I don't know how it multiplied. That small gift multiplied to feed the crowd. I, I, I really try to imagine, and I really can't, right? Was it raining fish? Was it baked fish or fried fish? Like, I, I don't know. Like, how? Like, how did he do it? I don't know, but he did it. He did it. And then not just that, but the Bible said that every single person that was there ate and they were satisfied. They were satisfied. Powerful. And so you may not have a lot, but if you're willing to give, God can do a powerful thing with it. The end of the story we see in verse 12 and 13 Jesus told the disciples to collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And so the disciples collected them, and the disciples filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley of loaves and the two leftovers or the, the fish. And there were leftovers um, for the disciples uh, um, to take home with them. I want you to imagine this, right? That not only did Jesus satisfy the crowd and also satisfied the disciples, but now the disciples had an abundance. They actually left more um, with more than what they came in with, right? And then at the end, we see how everyone is satisfied, but then the disciples took baskets home, and we see... And I want you to hear this, right? There's nothing that God, not, not, not even the little acts that we do is a waste to God. And so the fact that God said, pick up the crumbs, pick up the leftovers, and that's pretty much what he's saying, nothing is a waste. Nothing that you do is a waste, right? Because all of it has value. Like, you are not a waste. Your gift is not a waste. 
Your talent is not a waste. Your degree that you got and you feel like, oh, man, I've never used it, is not a waste. You know what I'm saying? Like, your job that you're in right now, it's not a waste. Nothing is a waste. They all have value. Jesus told the disciples to collect the leftovers so that nothing is a waste. Every small crumb matters to Jesus. Every person matters to Jesus. Every act matters to Jesus, right? And so you might feel small, but you have an amazing purpose to God. Every effort, every act is not a waste. And then we see also how Jesus cares for our needs because he told the disciples, take the basket full home with you. Have extra Why? Because he wanted to replenish the disciples. The disciples gave so much, but then God also wanted them to be full. Right? And so what we see is, in order for us to continue to give, because they still had other ministries and things that they need to, to go do, they need to be refueled, refueled and replenished. And we see how this is an opportunity where after serving, we see God make sure that we are refueled. And so really what that means is you can't give from what you don't have, right? And so you have to give from what you, what, what your full basket. And in order for you to have a full basket, that's, that's another word for self-care. You need to take care of yourself. God was taking care of the disciples, making sure that the disciples eat, right? And so what that looks like is, In order for you to continue to give and not be burnt out and go empty, you have to go and be refueled. In the story, it's really cool. When you think about the scene, right, the disciples, Jesus was multiplying, but the disciples kept coming back for Jesus with empty basket to fill up to give. They came back with empty baskets and Jesus filled up so that they can give again. And that is what our lives should look like. The reason why most of us are burning out is because we're not going back to be fueled. And so we're giving on empty. There's nothing in our basket. And how do we expect to give if we are empty? And that's why most of us are burning out. We're tired. We're exhausted. But if we keep going back to the Lord... And allow him to fuel us, fill our basket. Here we see in this picture, he gave them basket full. Eat up because tomorrow we're going to go work again, right? And then we know this is a God with infinite resource. So he's like, keep coming to me. Like you don't need to be shy away and try to do things on your own and work on empty basket. Keep coming to me. I'll keep filling you up. And so we see how this is called self-care. Take care of yourself. Get some rest. Yes, you need that. Take care of your physical and your emotional need. You need that. Take care of your spiritual need. You need that. God cares about that. And that's why he gave them basket full. He cares about that. But then at the same time, he fills us up to empty us. And he fills us up again to empty us. And that is, that is the way that he continues to work in us. So the reason why most of us or some of us are just exhausted and tired 
I just want to ask, I mean, are you taking care of yourself? Are you getting some rest, right? Right, physical rest, right? But then not just that, but are you going to this infinite resource to be filled up? And then we see how these disciples went on satisfied. <laughs> they were satisfied when they ate, but now we see they're more satisfied when they went home because we see how God gave them even more. He gave them an abundance. They receive more than they gave. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the way that when we are hospitable and when we give, and kind of like how you guys were sharing, when we give, I mean, you are the one that kind of comes out being more blessed, right? Waking up in the morning, Christmas Day, to go give out gifts. At the end, you probably felt more joy, more blessed. When we give, and this is, this is the amazing thing in God's economy, like the giver ends up being more blessed, right? The giver ends up being more full. What you think you're giving up ends up being multiplied in God's economy, right? And that's the beauty of hospitality. And so what we offer, what we offer sacrificially to serve one another, I want you to see how this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus offered to us, where he gave, and he gave, and he gave until he couldn't give no more. He exhausted his life to make room for this amazing blessing that we get to experience. Jesus gave until he couldn't give any more to make room for us. And so when we offer what we have sacrificially to others, it mirrors this life of Jesus, this selfless life of Jesus, this sacrificial nature of Jesus, this ultimate act of love of Jesus on the cross and where we see his love wasn't just about words. It was act, and it was a total, exhaustive pouring of himself to make room for us, to make room for us. So I want to encourage you to see, one, this is a picture of what we are to be like, but we see it is daunting when we think about what God is calling us to do. And sometimes we may feel like we don't have enough. But man, when we feel those limitations, that's when God actually makes room for himself to step in and to deposit his strength so that you could do the things that are impossible. All right? So I want to encourage you with that. Father, we thank you so much for our time. And I pray over all of us here. Lord, we all feel lim our, our limits Parents feel their limits. Students feel their limits. Every single one of us feel our limits. At work or at school or wherever it may be, we feel our limits. And not just that, but we feel our limitations when you call us to do these things, that when we look at our resources, 
There's no way it could be done. Oh, God, thank you so much that we're not the solution, that you are, and that in our limitation, this is where you show your strength. In our limitation, this is where you demonstrate these miracles, that you do great things with small offerings. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray we can walk in this way, serve you in this way, and serve one another in this way. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.